In this holiday season, the Salvation Army invites everyone to love others beyond whatever hardships they may be facing. This Love Beyond the Podcast series features our national leaders hosting conversations with friends of the Salvation Army who have stepped up in support of the campaign and their neighbors in need. Here's a conversation with Commissioner Hodder and Dr. Russell Moore. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Love Beyond the Podcast, a part of the Fight for Good podcast here at the Salvation Army. I'm Commissioner Ken Hodder, National Commander, and it's my delight today to welcome a very special guest to our podcast. Dr. Russell Moore is the Editor-in-Chief of Christianity Today, the foremost voice of the evangelical community in terms of media in our nation today, and he is also the director of CT's Public Theology Project. Prior to serving in those roles, he was the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church, and he served as the provost and dean of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. Dr. Moore, welcome to our podcast today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here because I'm so thankful for the work of you and the Salvation Army. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you so much. As I've just indicated to our listeners, you are an accomplished author, you're an accomplished speaker, but you're relatively new at Christianity Today in the role of editor-in-chief. What attracted you to that role, and uh, how has the transition been going? Well, the transition's going well. I, I think what attracted me to the role is the, um, is the way that Christianity Today spoke to me as a teenager when I was going through uh, a time of uh, spiritual questioning and uh, in some ways a, a kind of a spiritual crisis. Mm-hmm. And uh, Christianity Today put me in touch with a, uh, a much broader uh, stream of Christianity. I was hearing from voices that I wouldn't have ordinarily heard from in, in my part of the Bible Belt, and it really was significantly important for me. So I'm, I'm thinking about the other 15-year-olds and 45-year-olds and 25-year-olds who are going through uh, similar uh, times of, of questioning or crisis and would like CT to be a voice to speak to them. That's a wonderful way to look at it. I recall uh, a similar impression of Christianity today in my uh, earlier years. It always represented breadth and depth to me in terms of faith. Uh, I would learn so much more about what was happening in the church, and I would have a greater understanding of why I believed what I believed. So I can understand that. I think it's great that that would be a motivating factor. You want to replicate that in the lives of others. Yes. And I I think there are many people. I mean, I I hear from people every day, all day long, uh, just because of the nature of the time in which we live, who are, um, they're not cynical and they're not skeptical in the sense uh, that we're accustomed to of of people who would say, well, I just can't, uh, I just can't believe in anything supernatural. Uh, They're people who have seen institutions let them down. Uh, and that's thrown them uh, into, are there institutions that I can trust at all? Mm-hmm. And so that seems to be the, the moment in, we find ourselves in right now. It certainly is. It certainly is. In light of that, and in light of your goals for Christianity today, 
What kind of stories do you like to tell? What do you find resonates most with people? Well, the, the most popular uh, part of Christianity today, uh, and and has been ever since uh, ever since CT started doing this, is the testimony uh, at the back, uh, in which someone will tell uh, the story of how it is that they came to be a follower of Jesus, and what's really what's really remarkable to me about those kinds of stories is that they're inclusive both of people who. Maybe they grew up uh, in the church. Maybe they they followed in the paths of their their parents, uh, and, and they're committed to Christ. Or uh, people who never would be expected uh, to be uh, religious at all, or even or even to survive uh, in terms of their own lives. And I think in both of those ways, uh, these sorts of stories uh, say to people, it's not too late for you. There, there, there's uh, you're not the kind of person who's beyond the reach of, of grace and redemption. And those are the stories I love. Oh, those are terrific stories. There is a surprise element to testimony, isn't there? Uh, whether it's uh, the nature of the story that they tell or uh, the person who's giving it, uh, testimonies, when they, are, when they come from the heart, will surprise the world uh, and can be very powerful as a result. And, and they're very different uh, from the kinds of stories that we, we like to tell culturally right now, uh, which often have to do with strength and winning and displaying and success. Uh, these stories are about vulnerability. Uh, it, it's about uh, even in, in our hymnody, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. There's a, a sense of recognizing uh, God's power in weakness and that life isn't just about winning and displaying. And so that's, that's quite, uh, quite different from what we're accustomed to. Mm. Well, you, you make reference implicitly there to the deep divisions that exist in our society, left and right, and they are power struggles in many ways. Uh, how does CT uh, navigate in that environment? Uh, any article that you might produce, any story that you might tell, can be read with political overtones or can be read uh, as uh, deconstructing the faith. Uh, how, how does CT seek to create the balance that the gospel calls us to in this kind of environment? Well, I think the first way is by telling the truth. I mean, we're, we're at a time uh, when I think we've, we've almost across the spectrum given up on the possibility of there being uh, truth. Uh, or there be, being true stories to tell. And instead, it's simply about who has more power or who is in which tribe and, and, and what looks better there. And, and I think people are looking for a model uh, of those who would say our tribal identifications don't matter as much as what's real. Uh, and, and what's true. And sometimes um, telling the truth is going to uh, reveal the beauty of uh, the church and, and what Christ is doing around the world through the church. Sometimes it's going to reveal ugly uh, things that need accountability. But Jesus just was never afraid of those sorts of things. And, um, and I think that's the first step now. Mm, you're, I think you're absolutely right. Propositional truth the notion that a statement can be true or false. Uh, when postmodernism became a, a, a deep philosophical thread 
uh, in our country uh, was more difficult to establish. And now we're in a post-postmodern situation in which everyone's truth appears to be equally valid. Or, or, or truth seems to be just marketing. Um, and I think people have encountered so many institutions or individuals that they've realized are not, not who they seemed to be. And we're, I mean, the, the Merriam-Webster uh, Dictionary Word of the Year this year is gaslighting, um, mm. which is the, the manipulation of someone to where the, the person thinks he or she is crazy. Uh, I mean, I think people are accustomed to so much of that that sometimes there's a question of, can, can I ever even know anything that's true? Mm. Um, and so, of course, I mean, that, that uh, we've seen that go in the other direction, too, where people have said, because we know that there is truth, that means that we have the entire truth. Mm. Uh, and, and that leads to disaster. Mm. But so does this sense of we can never uh, we can never see or hear anything that's genuinely authentic. That leads to despair and cynicism as well. So do you find that navigating between those two poles is a matter of emphasizing other dimensions of truth, uh, the beauty of it, uh, uh, the moral goodness of it, the validity of it, not perhaps on a propositional level, but on the level of application to modern life? Absolutely. Because uh, that's, uh, if we think about what the Bible uh, actually is, uh, it's mostly story uh, with uh, some propositional reflection upon those stories, which is how, uh, which is how human beings uh, come to know what we know and come to love what we love. Uh, and so uh, there's a reason why a great deal of what Jesus was teaching was in parables. It, it reaches a a deeper part of the psyche mm. than, than does a, a syllogism. And I think that's true. And I think that's one of the reasons why, to go back to uh, testimony, it's one of the reasons why when, when someone starts to tell his or her story, um, th there's, there's usually a different sense of openness uh, there. And then uh, when that story is included in the story of Jesus, uh, even more so. Do you think that the church as a whole uh, is attuned to this, uh, attuned to the power of testimony, attuned to the ability of things like beauty uh, and uh, uh, moral purity to have an impact on the human heart? Uh, I'm not so sure that the church as a whole recognizes that. I think there is a, a pounding on the notion of propositional truth. Uh, do you think that that's true at all, or do you think that that varies uh, across the spectrum? I think there are some places uh, that, within the church that are doing this really well. But I think we also have a situation now where in, in large sectors of the church, there's almost an exhaustion uh, and a, a sense of uh, perplexed bewilderment uh, at uh, where to go next. And I think some of that is rooted in a lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that, that there are some people who have started to think, well, the outside world is so hostile uh, to us. And of course, in, in some ways, that's the case, but often not nearly to the degree that people assume. Uh, they, they will find that their neighbors actually are quite curious uh, about spiritual things. I think there, there's a little bit of a crisis of confidence um, 
happening. And also, I think, a lowering of expectations. Uh, we really don't expect God to work the way that he says uh, that he does and will. Is that interesting? Do you think uh, we're being forced uh, as the church uh, to place less of our reliance on our uh, cultural impact over the years, uh, on our traditional association with those who move the levers uh, of power in society, and we're being forced back on uh, reliance on the, the Holy Spirit, reliance on Scripture, uh, and that that's uh, a difficult change uh, for some parts of the church. It's a difficult change, but it's a it's a welcome change. If you look at uh, even just in the areas of social change, uh, the areas where the church has been uh, the most disastrous have been those in which the church operated from a place of power, prohibition, uh, for instance. And the places where the church has been the most effective at actually changing things are the places where the church was was speaking from the margins. So I think of, for instance, um, I come from the Baptist tradition, the, the early uh, Baptists in the United States who were uh, speaking about religious freedom for everybody, uh, not just uh, for believers, that eventually uh, led to the First Amendment to the Constitution. That was not from a place of power. Civil rights movement. Uh, was not from a place of power. It was from the, the very definition of the margins of power, but came with moral authority uh, and was able to actually change things. So I think if we, if we look at, um, at the way that Christianity actually spread uh, in, those, uh, in those early years, uh, it was because there was a, a different sort of gospel, a different sort of community. Uh, you had people, the Apostle Paul says, not many wise, not many noble, uh, but who were transformed. And I think getting back to that um, is, a, is a welcome change. So you think we achieve more for the kingdom uh, as a creative minority than as a moral majority? I definitely think so. And, and, and that's, that's largely because any creative minority, as we have seen, uh, those, those minorities are able to see reality uh, in ways that don't have the same assumptions um, and then are able to, to not rely on uh, the typical cultural levers of, of power. Mm. And that, that brings with it a, a, great deal of, uh, a great deal of power. You mentioned a few moments ago uh, the tradition from which you come. I know that uh, you're a native of Biloxi, Mississippi. Yes. Uh, and uh, and a strong uh, member of the Southern Baptist tradition. Tell us a little bit about your own uh, walk with Christ. Uh, when you came to the Lord, uh, how you believe he's led you over the years. I uh, came to Christ at about 12 years old uh, in terms of personal uh, faith and belief. I had been in a very good uh, church uh, from r- really uh, from nine months before I was born. We were we were always there, and the church was a key part of my sense of identity and community. The whole year and the whole week was structured around uh, around the church, and so I was able to see. I was able to see some bad things uh, within church life, as many people have, but I was able to also see God's grace in, in ways that I don't think I ever would have, would have seen anywhere else. 
Um, and so I, I came to, to faith uh, relatively early uh, and then started grappling with a call to, to ministry shortly after, shortly after that, uh, which I, I struggled with for, for several years before actually surrendering to it. Yes, that's well. I can understand that entirely. I went through the same struggle before uh, pursuing my life as a Salvation Army officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the struggle itself uh, has uh, strengthened my own uh, commitment to the ministry to which God brought me. I'm sure you've had this the same experience. That's that's exactly right, and it's it's also true with the uh, spiritual crisis that I mentioned uh, some moments ago. Um, there are times when, because I've had to uh, deal with really dark aspects of uh, the church, uh, sexual abuse, racial injustice, those sorts of things, some people will say, uh, did you did you ever come to a point where you were about to lose your faith? And the answer to that is no, but it's not because my faith is so much stronger than anyone else's. It's because I'd already walked through that. Uh, kind of kind of process, and so I'd, I'd already been there. Uh, I think that uh, that had a great deal to do with with my being able to follow Christ, even in even in dark situations. Yes, because uh, the Christian life is not always going to be joyful. It's going to have dark periods, but what holds us there? Uh, I think I can't help but think of the word covenant as you speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you, you have reached a depth of connection with the Lord that sustains you even in those moments. And I think in, in talking to people, I was just having a conversation uh, yesterday um, with someone who was going through a, a personally a very difficult time uh, in order to say, you know, if we look back on those moments when we say these were the transformative moments, these were the moments when, uh, when God was really doing something in my life, Often those are the moments when God seems to be absent uh, and, and things are not very few people have uh, the transformative moments of their life in times of triumph. Mm. Um, usually it's in times of, uh, of suffering, but God is doing all of this uh, under the surface and living in the tension of that, uh, finding both longing and joy, that's, that's difficult but it's it's worth it. That, that's a difficult message for the church to tell today. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's not the kind of Christianity uh, that people would understand as being uh, attractive, as being yeah. something they want to be a part of. That's that's a that's the culture challenging message of the gospel, isn't it? It, it is, but it speaks to those deepest longings uh, of the human heart. Um, I was thinking about. Uh, I'm a, a country music fan of the old school, uh, and there was a song by a songwriter, uh, Tom T. Hall, called uh, Me and Jesus, that I would often use as an example of uh, American individualism, me and Jesus, we got our own thing going, we don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about, until I was, um, I was working in a, uh, in a ministry for homeless people. And it was a night the director of the program said, we're going to ask them uh, for the the hymns that they would want to sing. He said, and that means they're going to ask for me and Jesus. And I said, me and Jesus by Tom T. Hall? And he said, yes. (laughs) And they did. And the minute that they started singing this, there was this depth 
of uh, feeling and emotion. And I realized, oh, I've been misunderstanding this song uh, all along. It's really not about leave me uh, to myself and, and let me figure everything out. It's about people who really feel as though they have lost everything. Uh, maybe they've lost their families. Maybe they've lost their homes. They've lost their relationships. Maybe even they've lost their churches. But Jesus had not given up on them. And there was a power to that that I think really does, for, for all of us, regardless of our, our circumstances, it ultimately speaks to what we long for. Yes, absolutely right. You mentioned uh, uh, your service in a homeless shelter. You mentioned uh, Christmas there. We're obviously coming up to the Christmas season. Uh, and the gospel uh, can be powerfully effective uh, amongst so many people at this time of year. Uh, how would you advise Christians as they approach the Christmas season uh, to magnify uh, the Lord such that it will have maximum impact on the society in which we now find ourselves? Well, I think one of the things is to really pay attention to the story that we tell uh, at this time, because if we, if we, there's a way we can sanitize it uh, and it becomes really familiar uh, to us. But if we actually look at uh, what the, the Christmas story is, it's both uh, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, and there is the presence of, um, of great darkness. Uh, Herod is enraged. The, uh, the Holy Family has to, uh, has to leave uh, as uh, refugees from a, from a murderous uh, dictator. All of these things are, are taking place, and God is working uh, with the least likely people, uh, with shepherds, with, uh, with uh, uh, stargazers uh, from the East and with others. So I think paying attention to that story uh, can cause us to wonder, who are the people around us that have become invisible uh, to us? And, and how do we start asking who those people are so that they can become visible and so that we can serve them? Mm. Yeah, serving the vis invisible, as you put it, uh, is very much in the model that Christ uh, set, uh, serving those uh, who were on the margins, who were outside. Uh, the Salvation Army is built on that idea. That's something that the church could do more of, do you think? Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, there's a, a, a philosopher named Richard Mao uh, who talks about various uh, Christian denominations or, or groups almost as monastic orders uh, who have taken a vow to say, we're going to remind the rest of the church. If, if everybody else forgets this, uh, Lutherans are saying, we're going to remind people about justification by faith. And Presbyterians, we're going to remind people about the, uh, about the sovereignty of God. And Methodists, we're going to remind people about holiness. And I, one of the monastic orders uh, that God has given to use that metaphor, uh, to the Salvation Army is precisely that, to remind the rest of the church what it means to serve and what it means not to give up on uh, people uh, and, and to continue to uh, image Jesus, not just in talk, but also in demonstration. And I think, um, I think what happens from that is that uh, other, other wings of the church start to ask what's possible. Uh, and I think some, sometimes the reasons that we don't 
serve um, is simply because we don't think about it. We're, we're so caught up in the regularity of our own lives. But the model, uh, seeing just the model of the presence of the grace of Christ can cause people to stop and say, wait a minute, how can we, how can we do something like that and learn from that? Yes, that's right. That's the theme, really, that we've adopted at the Salvation Army, loving beyond circumstances, mm-hmm. loving beyond homelessness, loving beyond uh, people's pasts, loving beyond uh, uh, public perceptions of who they are and where they fall in the uh, social order. Uh, when Peter writes in First uh, Peter 4, 8, that above all, love uh, each other deeply, uh, take all of it and love them and serve them. Uh, that is really a powerful message that if people grasp it, can have a massive impact on the world. And, and it can change things. I mean, think about the change. We, we often talk about uh, changes for the negative. But think about the, the way that we think, for instance, about addiction uh, now. Uh, there was a time when people would look at someone who Uh, had an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction of some kind as being some sort of uh, moral uh, pariah. And now we're at the point where uh, many of the people who are leading the church are people who are coming uh, out of uh, addiction uh, of various kinds. And so we're able to, to bear the burdens of other people. There's been a transformation in how we think about that because of uh, those who have led in serving to, to people that, that others would just say, oh, you, you can't do anything about that. Just just let it go. Mm. Well, it, that gets back to the initial point that we talked about, uh, testimony. Uh, the testimony of someone's ministry when they have come from uh, a background of addictions or a background of, of prison uh, uh, is uh, a powerful one that in, can endure and that the Lord can use throughout the remainder of our lives. Yes, and usually uh, we'll give someone insight uh, about uh, an area where that person is to, to lead uh, in, in serving. We've seen that so many times with people who've uh, come out of prison and who are the very ones leading ministries to those who are in prison or people who have come out of addiction and are saying, our church doesn't recognize or see the people who are addicted right now. Let's love them and let's let's serve them. That happens so often. Mm, it does. What are you looking forward to most at Christmas this year? I'm looking forward to, we're, we're going back to Biloxi to see our uh, extended family uh, before Christmas. And then we're looking forward to my son who's in the Air Force and has been gone all year, able to come home for a few days for Christmas. So that'll be that, special for us. That's wonderful. Do you have any special traditions in your family? Uh, we, we tend to, um, have a tradition of, of going to extended family, uh, either before Christmas or after Christmas so that we can be at home, uh, in Christmas. I, I think that's important for our family. Oh, it certainly is. As we look toward 2023, uh, what do you believe will be the, uh, opportunities for the church and for Christians as we enter the new year? What do you? What would you like to say as the uh, editor of editor in chief chief of CT that we should look for in terms of signs? What should we look for in terms of opportunities? How can we make a bigger difference for Jesus Christ in the world in the coming year? 
Well, I would say one thing is to expect the unexpected. Uh, think about the things that we have faced over the past several years that we never would have imagined. If on, um, if on New Year's Eve of 2019, uh, someone had told us that COVID-19 would do to the world of what it did, we, we wouldn't even have believed it. Uh, there are unexpected things that happen which is why I would say, rather than looking for signs, um, realize we have the sign of Jonah, uh, what, what Jesus speaks of, of as his own uh, crucified and resurrected life. And then we ask, there's a novelist, uh, Marilyn Robinson, who talks about in her novel, Gilead, she's quoting someone who says, whenever I encounter someone, I ask myself, what is the question God is asking me in this person? And so I think our opportunity is both in our interactions with people and in our response to circumstances that maybe we didn't predict. What is God asking of us? What's, what's God's call uh, to us in this moment? And I think if we prepare ourselves to be um, not to have 2023 mapped out, but to follow it like that pillar of fire with just enough light for the, for the steps ahead of us, that's what faithfulness will look like. Yes, living in intentional faith. Yes, yes. I like that. Terrific. We've been talking today with Dr. Russell Moore, the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. Dr. Moore, I can't thank you enough for what has been an illuminating conversation uh, about your work and about how the church is functioning today in our country. Uh, I want you to know that all of us at the Salvation Army pray for you and your work. Uh, I am a regular reader of CT. Uh, I look forward to every issue, and I know that I speak on behalf of many when I say thank you for the inspiration that it gives and the encouragement it gives to so many around the world. Uh, it, we are a stronger body of Christ because of CT, and I uh, know that I would want to express that to you today. Well, that's very kind, and I, I also am very grateful for the work of the Salvation Army, not just on the big scale, uh, but also because of particular people whose faces I can think of right now whose stories were changed by the Salvation Army. I'm grateful to you for that. Oh, you're very kind. God bless you. Merry Christmas to you and to all of our listeners on the Love Beyond series here on the Fight for Good podcast. We wish you a very Merry Christmas. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye. Tune in for more of the Love Beyond the podcast series and subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.